So today we're going to be talking about critical thinking. Um, this does not mean it works fine. The sound is working fine. It's you that's not working. There you go. So you've just given us an excellent worked example of critical of critical thinking, of a failure of critical thinking, where you assume you make an assumption about reality and about the world that isn't true. So I, I know Sonia that you only did that um, as a test to test other people, right? And their critical thinking, you're like, I'm just teasing you guys to see if you can hear or not. So it's, it's making an assumption without checking objective facts would be a failure of critical thinking. Critical thinking isn't about being critical of other people or being critical of things in a necessarily negative way. What it is is a way of thought, a discipline of thought that allows us to maintain being rational and objective rather than slipping into subjectivity and into our emotional responses. Basically not just permitting ourselves to believe a thing to be true just because subjectively in our individualized reality we want it to be true or because believing that it's true makes us feel good. So critical thinking, the objective analysis and evaluation of an issue in order to form a judgment. The example given, professors often find it difficult to encourage critical thinking among their students. Um, why is it difficult to encourage people to think critically? Difficult to encourage people to be critical of their own thinking process. Uh, well, basically, it doesn't feel very good. That's why we tend not to do it. It's not the, it's not our favorite thing to do. We want to do our first and most favorite thing. We don't want to do the thing that doesn't feel good. Let's talk a little bit more about what critical thinking is, and then I'm going to segue quickly into how this helps people in a therapeutic context and how it can actually help you to overcome narcissistic abuse more quickly. Um, let me stop sharing for a second. Where am I? I'm here. Hello. I think I'm here. Sound is fine. Nobody's complaining about not being able to see me screen sharing. That's good. Uh, so two things happened. One is that people kept on asking me, how did you, meaning me, overcome narcissistic abuse? What, what helped? How did you turn your life around and do things differently and all the rest of it? And uh, one of the things that I had, I realized that I had in my bag of tricks as a human being, a few different things than other people did just because of life experience that was a bit odd. So it was the whole NLP training. There was the whole new age thinking, personal development, indoctrination that I went through as a, as a child, which did leave me with some, some usable skills and a load of junk as well. Um, and uh, the other thing was that at some point in my life, I kind of got... Um, fetishistically obsessed with uh, um, samurai culture and Japanese culture and martial arts and particularly Zen meditation and the idea that the map is not the territory so the way we think about reality isn't reality and in my uh, CPTSD shivery feverish Jesus what the fuck is wrong with me of, of adolescence uh, where I'd be jumping out my own skin all the time uh, feeling tortured, um, I caught the idea, the wrong idea actually, but, but, it, but it ended up doing me some good, that if I could align my thinking with reality, I would attain enlightenment, whatever that may or may not mean, um, and then I would cease to suffer because I was, I was very into Zen Buddhism and that kind of way of thinking. So 
I, t I continued to torture myself until I could think more clearly. And up until the age of 18, I was very dismissive of any sort of like Western philosophy. I was like, oh, this is child's play. It's nonsense. You don't need any of this. Until I went to university and I studied certain courses that I've, I've discussed elsewhere on this channel that led me back into a place of going, okay, rather than being focused on what the content of the mind is, try and look at the mind. And I'd be like walking around going, that's confusing. It's freaking me out. And the vision I had was of like uh, the, the shining a torch and then trying to get the torch light to shine back onto the torch itself. And that's pretty tough. And then you try and imagine getting the torch beam of light to shine back on the torch beam itself. Well, that's impossible. You like you can't do that. And some smart ass out there is going to go, just use a fucking mirror. All right, but without the use of a fucking mirror, it's impossible. You can't do it. So I started to get really fixated on, well, what is the mind? And where do these thoughts come from? And, and who's, the, who's, who's the thinker that's having the thoughts? You know, a lot of stuff that really... It, I don't encourage people to think along those lines now because it's, it's interesting, but it's a cul-de-sac. It's not going to help you to put your socks on in the morning. Um, it might be interesting and fun, and it might help you to practice thought, but it's not much more use than that. Somebody recently uh, said to me, so you got out of it quite quickly. How? So I keep going back to how, how, what did I do? Mental discipline was a major part of it. Being aware that I was having repeated thoughts was a major part of it. And having the value, here's something useful for you amongst all the babble that comes out of my mouth, having the value of disciplined and clear thinking was one thing that really helped me to pull myself out of the mire, out of the mud, as it were. The value of being able to think clearly. I can't, like this, this whole little Google Hangout I'm gonna do is gonna be kind of a sales pitch on the benefits of critical thinking to uh, help you to overcome uh, narcissistic abuse, to help you to deal with somebody who's a narcissistically abusive individual uh, and how to move on in your life. That's what this little uh, sales pitch is, is gonna be. It's a soft sell because I don't want any money from you. I just want your time, your attention, and I want you to embrace the idea that it might help you so you can play with it and hopefully get some benefits from it. And I'm gonna show you a story of, of somebody describing how it helped them. That's not me uh, later on. So that was one thing. Richie, what did you do that helped you? Well, I guess one of the things was having the value of clarity of thought and the belief that if I could think more clearly about reality, my, my, my thoughts would align with the reality that's out there and life would get better. And to a degree and in a certain way, as you walk down that path, it is true. You know, you're, if, you're, if your thoughts about reality match more closely the reality that's out there, life gets easier. When they're out of sync, you are insane in the purest, um, most non-judgmental, non-loaded way of using that term. So when we think about what the word sane means, like the Italian sane and the old uh, Latin sane, it just means healthy. So as a healthy body, healthy mind, sane, sanitary is the same etymological root. Insane means not healthy, means not clean, means not sanitary. So if the mind is insane, um, it's out of touch. It's out of the, when the mind becomes insane, it's because in some way, it could be a personality disorder, it could be neurosis, it could be grief that won't leave, it could be anything that is in the field of, of mental health and psychology and, and the ways in which um, um, the mind can, can hurt us um, is going to come down to looking at the way in which the person has broken from reality. 
So the narcissistic predator in one corner, he's had a traumatic break from reality. The uh, CPTSD or PTSD soldier who can't overcome the trauma of 20 years ago, he's also experiencing a traumatic break from reality because the mind and the biology are intimately connected. And at certain levels, your body and your brain don't know the difference between real reality and reality that's just vividly imagined. So if I vividly, vividly imagine that I am being uh, uh, shelled uh, and, and I can't, I'm pinned down and I can't escape and I'm going to die any second and I'm vividly remembering that experience, then my body's going to be flooded with exactly the same biochemical cocktail as it would be in real reality. It doesn't know the difference. So you get alarm systems that are stuck on inside of the head and uh, that, that kind of thing. To not digress though. The second thing is that somebody said to me is I'm good at arguing. And I said, well, I don't know that that's what? And she went, yeah, yeah, no, you're good at arguing. You're good in arguments because you know what it is that you want to say. And then on the, on the hoof, on the trot, as, as the argument is progressing, you stick to the argument. So yeah, I think you're really good at arguing. And I was like, no, I think that's just what arguing is. In my reality, that's what an argument is. You stick to the point and you make your point and you back it with, with evidence and you back it with data. And then the other person... Uh, you know, does whatever it is that they're going to do. So I thought, well, is that useful? Is that something I could try and give to people and would it help them? And then I thought, yeah, it is. You know, if you think in terms of your ability to decipher what is true and what isn't and your ability to defend yourself, well, you could stretch to say, well, that's your ability to argue. Now, I'm not saying it's your, your ability to be argumentative, the adjective argumentative. It is not helpful to be unnecessarily confrontational, and it's gonna bring you all kinds of negative karma and, uh, and trouble that you just don't need. But the ability to structure a good argument is an essential life skill that without, you are so much more vulnerable and so much weaker and so much less effective in the world in any area of your life. Because at some point in the last seven days, you've had to construct an argument somewhere whether it could be business, you're in a business, you want to make a business proposal, you want to do a sales pitch, you want to say to somebody, hey, I think this would be a cool thing for you to do. That's constructing an argument. I'm constructing an argument right now. You're in my argument. So, but I'm not arguing with you. I'm delivering an argument to you and it should, it can feel good. It can be nice to be sold to if it's something that you think you might like and the sales process is skillful and it's respectful and it's not boundary breaking and it's not dirty then a sales process or therapy or coaching or being presented with an argument can actually feel good because I'm respecting your intelligence. I'm respecting your boundaries. I'm not saying you have to believe in this because the magic wiffle woofoo man says it's true. I'm saying, Hey, this could be a thing that maybe might be useful to you or maybe not. What the fuck do I know? So, um, I decided then that that was probably a really, really key thing. And, and so over the last, I've been traveling over the last couple of weeks. So I had a lot of time to think. I'm driving in the car a lot. And I'm thinking, you know, I really need to tell people and to express to people as clearly as possible, you've got to have this skill set. You don't get let off the hook. The only way, like, I had, a, I had a, a teacher when I was very young. And her teacher said to her, I was very lucky to find this lady. Her teacher had taught her this phrase, clean up your act and you're off the hook. Clean up your act and you're off the hook. Um, let that one sit with you. Take a little mental note of that one. Let it sit with you for a few years 
And uh, you know, it's a really, really useful statement. So you've got to get yourself off the hook and you don't get to give yourself the permission, the indulgence and the luxury of not thinking clearly and recover. The two don't exist in the same reality. So every time you go to therapy and therapy is good, it's going to be a more or less traumatic, more or less painful, more or less, it could be really happy on some days, or grief-inducing or anger-inducing, confrontation with an emotional reality that has otherwise been kept locked away in the cupboard where it rots, right? Most people listening to this would argue, would, would not argue with that. They would agree that that's where it is. When therapy is real, and you're not just going through the motions and doing a little puppet show for the therapist, and you're being vulnerable and you're being sincere, that's what it is. The therapist's only real job is to lead you back to the truth. If you want it in more like uh, Western philosophical terms, that's what the value of therapy truly is, is to bring you back to the truth in some way, a truth that otherwise we've been hiding from. I said in the last Google Hangout, Jung said, uh, let me see if I can get this right, all neurosis is a result of the flight from legitimate suffering. So every time you try and run from legitimate suffering, a pain that you simply have to endure because life can hurt sometimes and being pain phobics is dangerous, is real. It makes us very vulnerable. It makes us very unsafe and it makes us unable to gain traction. So that takes bravery. Ah, oh, we need the value, not just of critical thinking, of rational thought and, and the discipline of learning how to think, how to operate, this thing in between the ears and make it work more effectively. But we also need to cultivate the value of discipline itself. And then we need to cultivate the value of courage and bravery. And then we need to cultivate the value of vulnerability, but not in an unboundaried way. Like I said, vulnerability last time, people were like, oh, so I should make myself vulnerable to my abuser. No, that's called stupidity. <laughs> You've got to be honest with yourself. You've got to be vulnerable with yourself. You've got to be very careful who you're vulnerable with. But no vulnerability, no intimacy, no intimacy, no love, no love, no life. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. You know who's, you know who's truly invulnerable and truly terrified of intimacy? The big bad wolf we call the narcissist. That's who's scared of intimacy. That's who's scared of vulnerability. That's who's, that's what being trapped behind a narcissistic shell is. It's the refusal of any and all vulnerability and it's the refusal of any and all rational thought. They hate rational thought when it applies to them and their actions. The only time a narcissist is gonna wax lyrical about rational thought is when it provides them with a platform to show everybody how clever they are but you take that same rational thinking that they're doing to do that and apply it to them and to what they do and say, guess what you're gonna get? Narcissistic rage, of course. What am I telling you guys for? You're all like initiates and blue belts and brown belts and stuff, you know this shizzle. Okay, he's gonna try and screen share again. Just be careful, all right? Just pull back from the screen, you know, just, you never know. Screen share, boom. Hey, if you can't see this, you've got to tell me in the Q&A app. We're a bit scouts then. Hey, if you can't see that I'm screen sharing with you now, you've got to tell me in the fucking app and that. Critical thinking, right, is the ability to think, to think, to think. 
clearly and rationally about what to do or what to believe. Do you know what I mean, lads? It includes the ability to engage in reflective and independent thinking. Someone with critical thinking skills is able to do the following. I wonder if you can see my cursor. I'll do this anyway, even if you can't. Uh, you've got to be able to do the following. Understand the logical connections between ideas. Identify, construct, and evaluate arguments. Arguments in this context means a line of reasoning. It doesn't mean necessarily an argument between two people. Uh, a solicitor, or sorry, a lawyer, when he goes to court and he puts the case, he presents an argument for something to be true, uh, uh, reasonably true, true to within reasonable doubt. To be able to detect inconsistencies and common mistakes in reasoning, to solve problems systematically, to identify the relevance and importance of ideas, to reflect on the justification of one's own beliefs and values. That is a huge one. How do I know that this is true? How do I justify my own beliefs and values? Critical thinking is absolutely not a matter of accumulating information. Just like in the Zen tradition, I'm just saying. A person with a good memory and who knows lots of facts is not necessarily good at critical thinking. In fact, they very fucking often aren't. A critical thinker is able to deduce consequences from what he knows, and he knows how to make use of information to solve problems and to seek relevant sources of information to inform his or herself. Critical thinking should not be confused with being argumentative or being critical of other people. Although critical thinking skills can be used in exposing fallacies and bad reasoning, critical thinking can also play an important role in cooperative reasoning and constructive tax, ta 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 tasks. I don't know, what, the, what was that? An important role in cooperative reasoning and constructive tasks. Tat, 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 tasks. Sounded like the suit, the so solid crew then. 21 seconds, tat, tat, tat. Tell you what, eh? Get down with the homies. That's what I'm all about. 21 seconds, kids. Right, what are we talking about? The so solid crew. The Americans out there and the Canadians are gonna be like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? The so solid crew. Look up the so solid crew. It's essential, it's not essential to your recovery, don't bother. Um, so 21 seconds, tat, tat, tat. What are we talking about? Why is it important? So I said to you before, it can help in a mental health context. So it can help from the point of view that you can actually question your own beliefs and your own values and your own judgments rather than just surging ahead with it. Um, and it can also help you when you're actually dealing face to face with a narcissistically abusive person. The narcissistically abusive personality, notice I'm refraining from using the term narcissist here. The reason why I'm refraining from using the term narcissist here is because not everybody who uses narcissistically abusive strategies of, uh, of, of predation on another person actually has a full-blown personality disorder. Some people who are just dicks can use narcissistically abusive strategies. Dicks is the correct clinical term. Ask your psychologist. I just checked with the British Psychological Society yesterday and they sent me an email back. They said, yes, Mr. Granite, people who behave in this fashion are called dicks. Um, Freud, he was the first person. Schwanzer, he would say. Oh, is there a justice Schwanzer? That's my Freud voice. So um, when you're experiencing, uh, somebody's just written a message on the side here. 
And it says, wondering if a lifetime of being a survivor of gaslighting can seriously mess with critical thinking and trying to align thought with reality when your reality was severely contradicted for a long time. I feel like that is what happened to me. If so, please advise. Okay. Yes, that's what happened. I am advising you right now. Gaslighting is the militarized, weaponized form of emotional abuse that is the opposite, the opposing weapon to critical thought. So if you think of critical thinking as a sword, a scalpel, you know, from the tarot, the swords, the suit of the air, the suit of the mind, the suit of the crown chakra, the place where we make decisions, decidare, which is going to be Latin. I'm going to go with Latin. It might be Greek, decidare. No, that's Latin. And it means to cut. When we decide, we cut. When we you know, when, we're, when we are insightful, we're cutting. We're cutting through to the heart of the matter. Ace of swords, what is it? Well, usually it's either a sword through the crown, through the crown chakra, or the sword through the heart. It's going through, uh, straight to the heart of the matter. The SAS, the Special Air Services, what was their insignia? It was a downward-facing sword um, uh, with wings, a winged dagger. So this is how we cut through. And this cutting... As the samurai would do in ancient times with their Zen mastery and the, the minds of the swords of a katana that has been banged too many times. That's my mind. It's a katana that's been banged too many times. Um, it's, it can feel like violence, and it, it, it sometimes it is a violence. But from a philosophical point of view, if we're good philosophers, we have to permit that violence if it leads us to the truth. I'm not saying physical violence here. I'm saying it could be a kind of violence, a kind of emotional, a kind of structural violence to get through to the truth. So old ideas, when they die, it doesn't feel nice. It's not gonna, it doesn't usually feel warm and fluffy inside. It usually feels quite painful. Even if those old ideas and old beliefs were abusive and formed through torture and enslavement, when they go, you'll still feel pain when they disappear. It's really strange. Um, but a lot of people who've been through that therapeutic process have experienced that. So gaslighting, like critical thought is the enemy of gaslighting. When you, but, okay, so I'm going to explain more about how to do critical thinking. Don't get all cocky after this Google Hangout and think that you can go and fight a narcissist using critical thinking because they're not using reason. The, remember the Gary Klein uh, phrase, the point is there is no point. These are chaos worshippers. So they don't like reason. They don't like order. They don't like structure. And they're not fucking interested. You're interested in reason and structure. I'm interested in reason and structure. You want to know that there is value in the world and that if somebody tells you they love you, it's because they love you rather than because they're trying to steal your fucking land, your resources or your goats. Don't want to have too many goats because they'll come for you and they'll steal the goats. Right. Uh, okay, let's do a bit of screen sharing. Let's share the screen. It's nice to share the screen. I'm going to teach you a little bit more about critical thinking. I don't want it to be too heavy and dry and academic. It is a bit of a dry subject. Um, <clears throat> but these are, these are things that will really, really help. Trust me. I would not tell you otherwise. Okay. Okay. Let me just quickly go through with you what the uh, uh, combination of skills are. It says 
Critical thinking involves a complex combination of skills. There's no reason to tell people it's complex. You know, don't frighten them. I'm trying to make this easier. I, I, all of these are copied and pasted from websites, the references for which are given in the notes. The notes you will find on the uh, Richard Brannan Spartan Life Coach Tumblr, the link for which was given in the YouTube, in the Google Hangout information bar, and also was the last status update on Spartan Life Coach Facebook. Okay, these are your skills. You're a martial artist of the mind now, and these are your skill sets. These are the things you're gonna to need to use. One, rationality. When you're thinking critically, you rely on reason rather than emotion. You require evidence. You do not permit yourself the luxury of ignoring known evidence. You follow evidence wherever it leads, even if it's gonna to lead somewhere painful or that makes you feel vulnerable. You follow the truth. The truth becomes the absolute highest authority. You're concerned more with finding the best explanation than being right. <laughs> Try that with your narcissistic ex. See how that one goes down. You analyze apparent confusion and you ask questions. Another skill set that you need in order to be a true warrior of the mind. Self-awareness. When we're thinking critically, we weigh the influences of motives and biases. I'm going to um, describe some cognitive biases in a minute. And we recognize our own assumptions, prejudices, biases, or points of view. Okay, let me just stop a second there. Stop sharing. Is it on my face again? There we go. Hello, kids. How are you doing? Um, I can't tell you how to live. The term life coach is a bit of a silly term, really. Uh, nobody can tell you how to live life. It's not like I even know how to live my own. I just figured it out every day when I put my socks on. Uh, but I would say this. We have a problem at a cultural level right now that is being defined by many people as an explosion, uh, an epidemic of narcissism. Um, the evidence that is coming my way and has come my way over the last six months indicates that actually it is possible that things are getting a little bit worse. And I can see cultural reasons why that would happen. Um, I'm always into value. Value are the values, sorry, not value, values are the coordinates, the unconscious coordinates in a client, in a human being that show us how they map reality and what they're moving towards. That's why I talk to you a lot if you've ever done coaching with me about your values, what your core values are. In culture, core values have shifted. They've slowly been eroded and they, and they have shifted. And they've shifted actually quite dramatically just in the last 15 years, you know, since, since I was you know, a, a psychology graduate age 21 to where I am now, um, things have, have shifted quite a lot. I can see now very clearly that narcissism itself has become a value, a core value in culture. Meaning, if somebody displays preposterously narcissistic traits or narcissistic patterns of behavior, they are massively rewarded for it now. Just for the pure pornographic indulgence of a display of narcissism. A display of narcissism is now something that people get patted on the back for. I saw this shift taking place about 10 years ago. I was saying, you know, you can see, like when I was a lad, and you wanted to be hard, you wanted to know how to have a fight. That meant you'd fucking box with somebody face to face. And then it changed. It started to become, well, no, that's not the value anymore. It's not about bravery or, or having the front or being game or being, or, you know, willing to put yourself at risk. Now it's about who's the biggest cunt, 
who's the meanest who's the most horrible who can do the darkest dankest most psychopathic thing so that that then started to, to shift in that way and move in that direction and then another 10 years move on and i don't even think people care about that anymore they've, they've moved beyond even that we're in some other meta level now where the primary focus is pure narcissistic indulgence you know it's about likes I don't even know what, what a like is. Like, what's a like going to do for me? It's about views. It's about followers. And all of these things pretend to convey meaning and pretend to convey value. And the stupid, unevolved monkey mind goes, ooh, 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 ooh. that's good. 10,000 likes is definitely better than one. And we pursue this completely arbitrary, uh, 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 limited resource in the environment that is 100% controlled by whoever runs the machines that lets the internet work. It's even dumber than money. It's even dumber than modern money. It's even dumber than the concept of, of um, debt-based money with no value behind it. You know, where people pull out bills, like uh, English people pull out, you can't do this in America because in America, your money just says, where the fucking Illuminati, fuck you. And you will walk around with it and go, yeah, all right then. Novo Ordo Seclorum, fair enough. They even they even painted like, they even they even shoved a pyramid on it with an eye at the top and went, we're up here, you bunch of knobheads, you're down there. In England, where where we invented money and where we run money from where I am now in London, we run the world through banking, basically. Yeah, that's how it works. It's lovely. Uh, it says... <clears throat> This is, I'm just showing you how ridiculous this is and what a critical, a failure of critical. If you look at the, the, the collapse of the economy in the last seven years and the bigger one that's coming, it's only a failure of critical thinking. Just today I was listening to, to an, uh, a thing on a TED talk and they were saying, yeah, they blamed the, the illegal invasion of Iraq on groupthink. Groupthink is a cognitive bias. Groupthink basically means we all went along with it because we were all going along with it and then we just went to war and two million civilians died because of a lack of critical thinking. So it says on my note, I promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of 20 pounds. These, these are, that's called a promissory note, I promise. These used to say, I promise to give you back your sheep that you left with me. I promise to give you 20 gold sovereigns if you come and deliver this. That makes sense, doesn't it? If you're a bank and I come to you and I say, I've got a note here that says you're holding me fucking gold sovereigns, give me them back. And you go, calm down, just fucking give us a thing. And you go, yeah, it does say that. I don't know why you're being all funny about it. And then you give them back the gold sovereigns. That's a resource-based uh, money. This, nothing. What do they pay me? I go to a bank and I say, the queen has authorized you and me to be in an interaction where you pay me, because it says, read it, I'm not making this shit up, read it. I promise to pay the bearer on demand for some. So I can legally go to any bank in this country, if it's a legally mandated bank, recognized by the government and recognized by the crown, and say, I demand 20 pounds. And they'll look at me and they'll go, okay, you flipping nitwit. And they'll take this 20 and they'll hand me another 20 back and I'll go, 20 pounds, fucking wicked. Cheers, mates, and leave. How did they pull that stunt? How did they pull that stunt that we're so dumb, we have such a lack of critical thinking that I can walk into a bank 
and think that this has value and say, give me the resource. And they just give me another fucking note. Who came up with that? What fucking medieval genius sat behind a muddy table in a village in a hamlet in England somewhere went, I know, we'll just give them more promissory notes. They'll fucking love it. It's insane. It's insane. The money has no value anymore. That is a total lack of critical thinking. Why do we all buy into it? Groupthink. Why do we all just go along with it? Because groupthink. Because we think that, that there is no other option. We're still tribal creatures. We're still herd animals fresh out the freaking savannas just down from the trees a mere 50,000 or 100,000 years ago. And we're a bit simple. So this, this, why? Well, it's got a bit of silver and it's sparkly. And this lady is surely very important. So I'm going to do whatever she says. Yeah, you don't fuck with the crown. You don't fuck with the crown. You got some very serious sentencing if you do anything that has the queen's face on it. So that's a lack of critical thinking. And that's gaslighting. That's gaslighting at a cultural level. And what I'm saying is I've seen at a cultural level, there's a value in narcissism now. So you can go out and do something that is completely stupid, completely meaningless, and just to get followers on Instagram, just to get likes on Facebook, and the other monkeys in the pack will applaud you and screech with glee. Why? I haven't figured that one out yet. Maybe they think that vicariously, if you can do it, so can they. We can all be famous. We'll all be famous. And then nobody will be famous. It will be flat again. And Karl Marx will laugh. So let's go back. Let's go back to me screen sharing. I went a bit conspiracy theory then. I told my therapist I wouldn't do that. He said to me, Richie, it's not very good for you, lad. Oh, hang on. I didn't finish my point. That's not a surprise, is it? don't even know what I'm on about. Oh, I've got an infinite. Infinity. Um, yeah, the cultural value of humility is gone. Um, we need it back. As sane, sovereign individuals, you've got to have humility. You've got to have the ability to say, I was wrong. When you, like all the time, people are trying to figure out whether the person they were with or or are with, or if their family, when they were younger, has some serious narcissistic traits. So we all know our lists now. Do you see them never apologizing? Is there a lack of empathy? Is there, and I'm like, we've only got as far as we've all gotten to in the narcissistic abuse world, reality tunnel, by asking those same questions and giving those same answers. So now what I'd like to do is just switch it into reverse and just say, are you seeing a lack of humility? Are you seeing, so that means you can ask the question, oh, is my ex, were they narcissistic or not? Did you see a consistent pattern of a total fucking lack of humility? Is the idea of them showing any humility slightly funny to you in a sick way? If it is, then you know, you're in trouble because that means that person can never admit, not truly, they can say sorry. Of course they can say sorry. Anybody can like punch themselves in the face and go, go on, say it. That's what this fucking idiot needs to hear. I'm sorry. Will you go back to sleep now and be my good slave? I'm sorry. It's only a case of forcing sounds out of your throat and making a shape with your mouth. I'm sorry. Yeah, you can do that. You can do that. You can train to the, the Terminator to do all kinds of things. They made him smile and be nice to kids and stuff, didn't they? You need humility 
and you don't want to surround yourself with people who don't have humility either. It's not good for you. It's really not good for them. And it sucks in terms of your critical thinking. So when we're being honest and, uh, and humble, we're thinking critically, we recognize emotional impulses, selfish motives, nefarious purposes, or other modes of self-deception. You can't do this without humility. The system don't work without humility. The engine won't start without the oil of humility in there. You won't be able to do this. You've got to be able to think critically, recognize your own emotional impulses, your selfish motives, nefarious purposes, or other modes of self-deception. Self-deception often occurs just as a, as a way of uh, trying to protect yourself from something painful. But you've got to recognize when it's there, and you've got to weed it out. Open-mindedness. We're thinking critically when we evaluate all reasonable inferences, consider a variety of possible viewpoints or perspectives, remain open to alternative interpretations, accept a new explanation, model, or paradigm because it explains the evidence better, is simpler, or has fewer inconsistencies or covers more data, accept new priorities in response to a re-evaluation of the evidence or reassessment of our real interests, and do not reject unpopular views out of hand. Now, boys and girls, I'm not going to turn this into a conspiracy theory thing or make it a political thing because this is not the correct place for it. But can I just ask any of you to tell me when was the last time you saw in a public space or even in a personal space anybody accept a new explanation, a new model or a new paradigm because it is better, simpler or has fewer inconsistencies or covers more data? I'm, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here, and I'm going to actually say this: it it, it doesn't happen anymore. It don't, we've given that up. The idea that that you would let go of what you used to believe and start believing something new because you've you've experienced new data is actually culturally considered a sin. When I was running my old self defense channel, and people in the end they started mobbing me, and and, and I was I was like you know uh, dogpiled. Um, uh, everybody just jumped in and, and, and you know got got a got a hold of me. Uh, one of the things that I was most heavily criticised for was inconsistency, and that baffled me because I was younger and naive, and I come from university, and I was like the scientific method. I'm going to apply the principles of time and motion studies from you know the Lord Leverhulme Institute of Port Sunlight, and I'm going to apply the principles of ergonomics and I'm gonna apply the scientific method, and I'm going to develop a project. And my projects were open format. What the, the biggest syllabus I ever had was called the beta eight syllabus. And I said, one of the reasons why it's called beta eight is because it's always gonna be in a beta state. It's never completed. I'm never gonna complete the system because you complete the system when you make it your own. It's open format. You can do what you want with it. And all of the drills were experimental. It was like, you figure out how to move and make this happen based on these principles. And I was attacked for that. I was brutally attacked for that. I was told that I was, uh, uh, you know, I was inconsistent and couldn't commit to one way of doing things. And I was like, oh, I thought that's what the scientific method was. I must have been mistaken. Okay, discipline. We are thinking critically when we are precise, meticulous, comprehensive. Oi, oi, get out of the way. Precise, meticulous, oi. Meticulous, comprehensive, and exhaustive. We resist manipulation and irrational appeals, and we avoid snap judgments. It takes discipline to do critical thinking. It takes effort. Burns more calories. You can't be lazy and do critical thinking. You have to sit an extra 30 seconds to a minute longer 
with a concept, with an argument, with a conflict, and think about it a little bit deeper in order to consider yourself even giving a nod to critical thinking. It takes more time and it takes more effort. Judgment. We're thinking critically when we recognize the relevance and or merit of alternative assumptions and perspectives. We recognize the extent and weight of evidence. In sum, critical thinkers are by nature skeptical. They approach texts with the same skepticism and suspicion as they approach spoken remarks. Critical thinkers, did you get that folks? Just because it's in black and white doesn't mean that it was inscribed in stone by the good Lord himself. Anybody can write something. Anybody can get any old tosh published. Oh, I could show you some references to some things that we know are nonsense. I can show you references to things that are in children's science books that we've known for years is simply not true. And they're still being published to this day. Doesn't make it true just because it's in black and white. Critical thinkers are active, not passive. They ask questions and they analyze. They consciously apply tactics and strategies to uncover meaning or assure their understanding. Critical thinkers do not take an egotistical view of the world. The narcissistic worldview is the opposite of the critical thinkers worldview. Uh, and they use gaslighting to confound reality and to corrupt the principle of truth and of justice. Whereas critical thinkers use critical thinking to uphold the value of truth and of fairness and of justice and of rational thought. They're open to new ideas and perspectives. They're willing to challenge their beliefs and investigate competing evidence. Christopher Hitchens quote here, the essence of the independent mind lies not in what it thinks, but in how it thinks. Responsibility to yourself means refusing to let others do your thinking, talking and naming for you. It means learning to respect and use your own brains and instincts, hence grappling with hard work. Adrian Rich. Psychologists as a group tend to be very skeptical. Now, this is something that I got from a psychology site. Um, the link for, for this is down here. Um, and he's, he's basically, he's, what this guy is talking about is specifically how psychologists use this in their own study, which is that they have to be skeptical and they have to have a show me or prove it to me attitude. Don't just tell me, show me or prove it to me. And these are some of the skill sets that he lies down, like avoid jumping to conclusions, examine any and all assumptions, generate new ideas, and evaluate the evidence. Okay. Ooh. Oh dear, what's he done? Oh, stop sharing. Oh yeah, there we go. Yep. Yep, I'm back, okay. Linda Williams wrote, I'm Welsh, she ain't my bloody queen. Well, absolutely. Fair play to you, Linda. When's the uprising? <laughs> We're waiting for you. What are you doing over there in Wales? What's, what's happening? <laughs> yes. A lot of my family are, are Welsh on that side, but you probably know that. I'm, from, I'm not from Liverpool. I'm from the Wirral. Um, so, yeah, it's a very, uh, it's a very Welsh area. Um, and Irish. But lots of Welsh and lots of Irish around there. And lots of Scandinavian DNA that we lay claim to. Vikings, that's right. So um, when you are being gaslit and you're being drawn into a fake reality tunnel, I was talking to a mate of mine today about this. He's heartbroken over a girl he was with. And uh, he said, you know, I feel like I've been living inside the Jeremy Kyle show. And I said, well, you know, in some 
respects you have the jeremy kyle show is the english equivalent or the british equivalent i should say of um oh you all know him the guy for fuck's sake the guy who has not very nice people come on his show so that the nation can judge them for being dodgy with some of the decisions that they made in life jerry springer uh, it's the English, it's the, well, he is English. It's the British equivalent of, uh, of, of Jerry Springer. Um, I said to him, yeah, you know, you have been living inside the Jeremy Kyle show. You have been living inside of a show. You've been living inside of a TV show. You've been living inside of the Truman show. You've been living inside of the Matrix. You've been living inside of Alice in Wonderland. Whose reality were you living in? Were you living in the reality of the person you were with? What's their reality? Well, their reality is whatever they want it to be. And if you want to be in contact with them, it's like one of these old spooky sci-fi stories, you know, like in Star Trek or something, you have a planet and it has like this infinite gravity and it starts to pull the Star Trek Enterprise into its space and they get sucked in and then, you know, they are beamed off the thing and they go and investigate the planet and everything goes a bit LSD and a bit 60s and a bit weird and they're like, oh, my mind's not working. That's what it's like. And they got sucked into a planet called Planet Narco, where none of the rules, none of the normal rules apply. And the truth is, whatever you want it to be, the truth is just whatever you want it to be. I used to joke about this on this channel all the time. It was one of my favorite adverts. It got banned in the end. Um, I can't remember what it was. I think it was a Kinder Chocolate. And uh, it was this, it was very histrionic advert. It was a very hyper-sexualized, you know, part, one of the taglines for one of the adverts was you can lick my ripples. Um, and then it would finish with uh, Kinder Histrionic Chocolate Surprise. Can't remember the name of it. Um, I'll be whatever you want me to be. You know, that's that's the war cry of the covert narcissist. I'll be whatever you want me to be. What does Planet Narco look like? Do you mean what does it really look like? Or what does it look like when you get there, Alice? When you go through the fucking look, uh, looking glass, Alice? It looks like whatever you want it to look like or whatever, you know, let's be a little bit more technical because you're not white belts. Uh, what I would say on a white belt sem seminar is um, what does planet narco look like? It looks like whatever you want it to look like princess prince. So you want the love of your life. That's what you get. That's what it looks like. Actually, it's less like Star Trek. It's probably more like a little bit darker, like the twilight zone, the old twilight zone. They used to do some dark shit on that show. I grew up in Portugal. We used to get cheap um, shows from other countries. So I watched in the 80s stuff that was on uh, English TV in, in the 60s and 70s and on American TV. So I watched all the old uh, black and white um, uh, Twilight, the Twilight Zone shows. And then there was a spin-off show called something else that was like a cheap rip off the Twilight Zone. But the Twilight Zone had some dark stuff in it. So it's more like that. You get there and you see whatever you want to see. If you want that goal, that guy to be the perfect, you know, father figure, mother figure, Madonna, whore, uh, you know, saving prince, the ultimate bad boy, whatever it is, that's what they'll be. So at a white belt seminar, I would say you're going to see whatever you want to see. At the blue belt and up seminar, which is what this is, I would say you're going to see whatever that fucker, whatever that scorpion thinks you want to see because you know well enough now that actually some of those illusions and those projections they fire out some of them don't really work they do misjudge humans sometimes 
they do look at humans and get it wrong because it's not a warm-blooded mammal itself. It's a reptile. So it looks at you and it goes, I think, I think the human species would enjoy this. And sometimes it's wrong. They just, they just miscalibrate and they get you wrong and they'll do really, you know, in the comments, read afterwards, you'll get stories. I'm sure people telling anecdotal stories of weird, awkward stuff that the narcissistic ex would do or did one time that just fell flat on its face because they totally didn't know who you are. I was listening to a Sam Backman uh, uh, interview recently. I was walking on a beach as it happened and uh, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. Um, he was talking about uh, the narcissist in relationships and he said, you know, the effect of being in a relationship with a narcissist is completely isolating. It makes you feel like you're in prison and it makes you feel like you're being uh, mentally tortured daily. And he said, one of the reasons why it's so isolating and imprisoning and suffocating is because you're with this personality and it seems like they're with you, but they're really not. They're actually only with their image of you. And they're only interested in the parts of you that fit their image of you. And all the rest of you has to be subdued. And if it's brought out, they will punish you for it in covert ways. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> so there you go. And there's a thing with uh, people, they don't like Sam Backnam. And I just say, your critical thinking kind of requires me to say this. Nobody gives a fuck whether you like him or not. Nobody gives a fuck. He's either right or he's wrong. He's either going to help or he isn't. Now, you might prefer to hear Sam Vaknin's knowledge come out of my face because I can be bothered to make it sound easier and tell jokes and do silly voices and stuff where he just can't be fucked to do that. But it doesn't make him wrong. That doesn't make him wrong. And then you go, but morally, he's an evil man. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know him personally. But it doesn't make the information wrong. That's a failure of critical thinking. Uh, you could say that in terms of logical fallacies, that, that would be a kind of uh, uh, poisoning the well because you're, you're conflating the information and the skill set with the man. And you're then saying you're poisoning the well by going, well, he's a narcissist, so therefore everything he says is null and void. Not so. Far from it. Other more rational people will say, well, doesn't that actually have the opposite effect? If the guy has the disorder and he's insightful and he's intelligent and he's well-read academically, and please believe me, he really fucking is. He's not making that up, he really is. Um, isn't that a good source of information? So there's a bit of uh, applied critical thinking for you. He's drifting, he's drifting. Go back to the screen share, bring it back. Okay, what are we talking about? It's a little bit late over here. A bit tired, a bit babbly. All right. Um, I'm gonna do uh, two things really, really quickly. One is, um, a cognitive bias is, is kind of like a software fault in the brain. It's, it's where your brain will lazily fall back to because it's easier to think about the world in this way. Usually that's what a cognitive bias is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a software fault in, in the brain. That's the easiest way of thinking about it. Um, there's one called affirmation bias or uh, confirmation bias. And what it is all about is how we like to agree with people who agree with us. So it would be, I guess, to continue the Sam Backman thing, like you don't like Sam Backman's style, you prefer my style, so you only consume my material. Well, that's a failure of critical thinking. You've got to get out there on YouTube and listen to some other people and make your own mind up. And, and you know, you could get something from somebody else that you're never going to get from me. 
you got to try other people and try other things as well. I mean, um, otherwise you're just getting indoctrinated by my lunacy. We tend to put off individuals, groups, and new sources that make us feel uncomfortable or insecure about our views. Anything that gives us a nasty case of cognitive dissonance. It's this preferential mode of behavior that leads to confirmation bias, the often unconscious act of referencing only those perspectives that fuel our pre-existing views. I'm not gonna talk about politics tonight, but I'm gonna say the word politics after I've left this highlighted. The often unconscious act of referencing only those perspectives that fuel our pre-existing views, while at the same time ignoring or dismissing opinions, no matter how valid, that threaten our worldview. Paradoxically, the internet has only made this tendency worse, says the gentleman who wrote this, and the link uh, that, that references that is given. You can get it in the notes. You can go and get the notes now. They're on uh, Richard Grannon uh, Tumblr. Um, if you don't know where that is or you're not signed up to that one, go to the Spartan Life Coach Facebook and the notes are there in the last status update. Okay, so that's an example of a cognitive bias. Let me just tell you something. Oh, he's gone infinite again. I've broken the internet. Look at that. Flipping brought the matrix. What are you doing, lad? Hang on. So your brain on a normal day-to-day -day basis is going to be um, um, bombarded with cognitive bias and a tendency to think about the world in a way that makes you feel calm and comfortable and secure. Critical thinking encourages us to slowly wean ourselves off the addiction of the laziness and impulsiveness of cognitive bias and to bring ourselves back to rational thought, but it is uncomfortable. We have to be outside of the comfort zone in order to do that. There's loads of cognitive biases. I've mentioned two already, like affirmation bias and, and groupthink. Um, the tendency to uh, think about the world in ways that are excessively simplistic, the tendency to hold on to a belief that you initially formed or hold on to an impression that you formed in the first place, even when new data comes in. Um, and if I could sum it up, the way they sum it up in NLP is in three words, it's all of the distort, delete, and generalize. Probably should have put that in the notes. Put it in your notes manually now. Distort, delete, and generalize. All cognitive bias do is distort reality, delete key elements of the data that reality has presented, and make ridiculous generalizations and drop uh, specificity, or make generalizations with no justification. So distort, delete, generalize. So you've got to fight these cognitive biases, biases that as they pop up, if you are in a state of emotional flashback, cognitive biases get stronger. All weak um, patterns of thought, corrupted patterns of thought, virus-infused, adware-infused patterns of thought and software will become inflamed during an emotional flashback. This is why your, um, I, I really shouldn't do these hangouts so late at night because I can't remember anything. <laughs> Catastrophic thinking. When catastrophic thinking comes in, catastrophic thinking is the line of reasoning that says, it's exams right now, this is why I used to think, I'm going to fail my exams, I'm going to drop out of school, I'm going to be kicked out of my home, and inside of two weeks, I'll be giving hand jobs to crackheads for cheese sandwiches. Um, that's catastrophic thinking. Think something dreadful is going to happen within a very, very sort of short space of time with no real justification, but that is that catastrophic thinking is held in place by 
um, old patterns of negative thought, the inner critic being overactive, but also cognitive biases because you're not thinking critically. Because if you bring in critical thinking, which is what I recommend people do when they're looking to fight the inner critic and fight emotional flashbacks is to use, inner, uh, is to use critical thinking, that kind of thinking can't survive. I'm gonna give you one example of the ways in which um, a narcissist will uh, gaslight you using something called a logical fallacy. So our job is to look after our defenses within the castle. We go around and we check there's no breaks in the castle wall, soldiers aren't asleep, everybody's awake. That's us checking for cognitive biases. Then we look at what the, uh, the enemy is doing and, the, and how they attack. When they attack, they will attack using something called, you could call these the bits and pieces of, ga the, of gaslighting, the actual technical uh, syllabus of the martial art that they use when they do gaslighting is made up of something called logical fallacies. Every piece of gaslighting is made up of some kind of logical fallacy. Let me screen share with you. Now, interestingly enough, and I need to do a, um, a video on this one day, this is a very common way for people to troll on the internet. It's highly, highly likely, um, based on information I've seen in more, in more recent months, that when you get hardcore trolling going on on the internet, that's actually a cluster B personality. Because, I, I mean, I have access to data of, I'm a, I'm somebody who runs different websites. I run a YouTube channel. So if you look at the sheer numbers of people who are there watching versus the sheer numbers of people who are watching and commenting versus the numbers of people who are there watching and commenting negatively, yes, it's probably going to be a cluster B. If one in every hundred people is cluster B, my God, I think it's only one in one in 100 people who comment, comment something that is truly just mean-spirited and pointless, and that the point is there is no point. And of everybody who watches and just doesn't say anything at all, it's like one in a thousand. So I'm not saying every troll has a cluster B personality disorder, but I would say that if you have a cluster B personality disorder and you can't get your fix out in the real world and you are something of a covert, the ability to troll anonymously online provides a fantastic outlet for your lust to abuse and emotionally gaslight. What do people frequently do when they're trolling online? They frequently use logical fallacies. I hope you can see this on the screen share. Go to yourlogicalfallacyis.com and check it out. The one I've picked because it's used frequently in online trolling and when you're arguing with or in conflict with somebody who has a cluster B personality disorder, and it's called the straw man. The straw man, the, 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 the roots of the straw man actually have a little bit of their roots in martial arts, I'm happy to report. When they used to uh, box, when they used to do prize fighting, like bare knuckle prize fighting, before they would have a fight with somebody. So if I was going to fight with Gypsy Dave next week, and it was going to be me versus Gypsy Dave next week, in order to get the crowd riled up and ready for that big fight, I'd get a, a straw, sort of a Guy Fawkes. You'll, you'll know across the globe what we do in England on bonfire night, right, with our Guy Fawkes we make like a straw Guy Fawkes man and then we uh, burn him and um, so what they would do is they would make a straw man out of their opponent and then they'd have a fake silly uh, boxing match with the straw man and they would beat him in absentia nothing he can do about it uh, just to sort of mock him and deride him and, and humiliate him and get the crowd revved up for a good fight that was that's where a straw man might come from one theory of where the straw man might come from and all straw manning is, when you straw man someone, you misrepresent their argument 
to make it easier for you to counterattack. So if somebody says to you, um, I told you don't leave your muddy trainers on the bed and you reply, oh my God, you hate me and you are plotting to murder me, you're not really addressing their argument. You're misrepresenting their argument. They don't hate you. They just don't want your muddy trainers on the nice white duvet. They're two different things. The cluster B will come out of their mouths probably every third or fourth sentence because it's the easiest way to derail an argument and distract you from getting to where you want to go, which is the core of the matter, which is the truth. These people are the enemy of truth. They want to corrupt communication and they want to corrupt the value of truth. That's what's happening right now. That's, that's the world we live in right now. There's a, there's a war on for this. They are trying and winning to corrupt the value of truth itself. Because if you can do that and you can make an entire population of people think that truth is boring bullshit, but somebody getting up on stage with their ass cheeks hanging out and then dancing in a way that makes the fat in their ass cheeks jiggle is worthy of the news then you've kind of won. You, you've done what you set out to do. You've, you've uh, made truth meaningless. It's a, it's, a, it's a corruption. Straw man is an excellent way of corrupting the truth. And it's an, it's, a, it's an excellent way of attacking somebody who's trying to be decent and reasonable and adhere to the truth. It won't work on another cluster B, of course. If I forego the need for truth and decency, straw man is meaningless. I mean, what's the point in even arguing? We then just become two monkeys staring at each other, making loud noises come out of our faces with a slightly indignant tone. By exaggerating, misrepresenting, or just completely fabricating someone's argument, it's much easier to present your own position as being reasonable. But this kind of dishonesty serves to undermine honest, rational debate. Example, after Will said that we should put more money into health and education, Warren responded by saying that he was surprised that Will hates our country so much that he wants to leave it defenseless by cutting military spending. You know, I had an idea, but it was just too silly, so I didn't do it. I wanted to do a series on YouTube called The Game of Trolls, and it would be introduced with like the Game of Thrones music, and then we would deconstruct um, each session, uh, like a short clips, like two, three minutes long, uh, a troll tactic, that kind of straw man tactic that I just described there in that example, is um, I, I reduced it to the phrase, so what you're saying is. So, so I was going to title this Game of Trolls. Be like, do, 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 Game of Trolls. And then it would be this episode, so what you're saying is. So if anybody says anything to you, uh, you can just take it completely out of context and, and make it something completely absurd. Okay, let me, let me, let, and this was what I was going to do. And now this is just, this is not organized. Inspirational quote. Inspirational quote. Inspirational quote. Uh, God, I've got a load of horrible meme pictures. No, I want real quotes from real people. Go away with your silly memes. Okay. H. Jackson Brown Jr. says, the best preparation for tomorrow is doing your best today. So what you're saying is, we just shouldn't prepare for tomorrow at all, sit around and take heroin and molest goats, because there's a goat theme in this one today, 
and, and we should just not care about tomorrow at all and do no preparation. That's a good example of, so what you're saying is, uh, Helen Keller, always good for an inspirational quote that I will now try and destroy using this ridiculous tactic. The best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart, says Helen Keller. Uh, so what you're saying is that we should just forego sensory information and just live in our own la-la land of pink unicorns and rainbows and not even worry about what data we get from the real world and just abandon objectivity altogether. Well done. You need to have this face if you're trolling. Well, well done, Helen Keller. That's clever. St. Francis of Assisi, you're going to do this one. Okay. Listen, you, you reply in the Q&A or in the comments. You troll this one. St. Francis of Assisi, start by doing what's necessary, then do what's possible, and suddenly you are doing the impossible. So whatever your reply to that is, it should start with, oh, so St. Francis of Assisi, what you're saying is, and then you go and you just troll it like that. It's a silly example, but if you actually look at what happens when you're in conflict with somebody who's had a traumatic break from reality, who is exploitative, who is manipulative, and who is extremely entitled, these are the kinds of arguments you're going to have. If you're not prepared for them, you're going to go into a full-blown emotional flashback or whatever your preferred emotional flashback style is, and you're not going to be able to effectively deal with it. And they'll be able to send you into helplessness like that just by gaslighting you with a silly tactic like, so what you're saying is, or the straw man uh, narrative. The straw man fallacy, sorry. Uh, okay, nearly finished with the screen share. Then I'm going to go through um, some of the, uh, the, 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 the questions you've asked me. I've not started watching the new series yet, but I've heard it's really good. No spoilers, please. No spoilers, no spoilers. Okay, so here's what I recommend based on what I've just told you. Um, I know that in seven days' time that you'll forget most of what I said tonight. So I want to leave you with one thing that you will remember. What I want you to remember is this question. How do I know what this person is saying is true? How do I know what this person is saying is true? What are the facts? Where is the data? Where is the evidence? Now, the person, this person, uh, uh, given here, it could also be you. It could also be your inner critic. So if your inner critic says something like, you're completely unlovable and nobody really likes you, you could just reply to the inner critic by saying, how do you know that that is true? Or how do I know that that is true? Is it always true? Have I ever seen that it's not been true? Do I have any evidence that I could consider that would mean that the opposite is true, that actually I'm really lovable? That would be a good thing to do on your own at the level of the internal work therapeutically. At the level of the external work, if you want a good way to make a narcissistic personality explode and, and spit the dummy out, just keep asking that question. Whatever they assert to be true, especially when they're uh, doing a bit of gaslighting, don't openly disagree with it. There's two, there's two expressions that I've learned that they hate, and I've, I've tried and tested these two expressions. And I, I don't really know why they hate them so much, but they absolutely hate them. So they say something, and you say, Ah, hmm, yeah, I'm not sure that that's true. Or variation number two of that. Yeah, I'm not sure that I agree with you. I'm not sure, it's an interesting point, but I, I'm not sure that I agree with you. I, I hear what you're saying, 
but I'm not sure that that's true. You don't even have to openly say that's not true, or I just don't agree with you. Just be like, yeah, yeah, but I'm not sure that that's true. And number two, all right, yeah, I hear what you're saying. How do you know that that's true? How do you know that that is true? And this is a new one. Like I found this fairly recently and um, it gets really, really explosive results. They get really, really upset because not only are you questioning the gospel that is coming out of their mouths that that they're used to really accepting, you're actually asking them to justify how they know it. And you're pointing to a gap in the knowledge. I don't know that much about politics, but I got into an interesting conversation with somebody who's close to be recently who made a very silly statement about um, uh, uh, who, who could be in, um, I'm, I'm changing it because I'm slightly, I'm slightly worried that a friend of a friend might, might watch this. <laughs> uh, who could be in um, Congress? Could somebody from Spain be in Congress? Could a British person be in Congress? And I was like, no, you have to be an American to you know, have any ruling or say in American laws as it is in England, as it is in France, and as it is in Spain. She was like, no, that's not true. There are Spanish people in Congress. And I was like, there might be Hispanic people, but they have a American passport. And I didn't set this up, but it was taking place publicly. It was taking place whilst other people were listening and they went into shocked silence that I had dared to contradict. I was like, oh shit. Because I'm not, I didn't have a dog in that race. You know, I didn't, I'd, I'd been led into this conversation and then I'd been led at the look of this cul-de-sac and kind of invited to disagree. And I was like, I, I'm pretty sure you can't have somebody who is the permanent resident of a, a citizen of another country, of another sovereign state, creating laws for your state. The only place in the world I'm aware of that happening is in Bosnia, where they take turns. The Serbs, the Croats, and the Bosnians take turns. And if you want to know how well that works out, you can go to Bosnia, or you can ask a Bosnian how well that is working out. It's not working out very well at all, photo baggins, because it's a fucking mess. Um, great country, by the way. You should visit that place. Sarajevo is really, really cool. Uh, I love that place. Um, but yeah, it doesn't work. You can't do that. You, 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 you can't do it. And then I asked the question, how do you know what you're saying is true? <laughs> I've been in this kind of conversation before, and usually what has happened, and I, you know, I, I don't want to digress too much, but I have to keep reminding people of this. Your narcissistic personality disorder, your cluster B personality disorder, they're very, very impressionable. Very, very impressionable. And if they have jumped to a pretty ludicrous conclusion because they're not fans of critical thinking like i don't know i was watching american tv one day and a congresswoman stood up and her name was maria velasquez and in my head i went oh there's somebody who's an argentine national in u.s congress right now who's putting a bill forward then I would have made a mistake. I would have been a, a mistake. I wouldn't have checked the facts. I wouldn't have gone away and gone, oh no, actually to do that, you really do need to be an American citizen, even for your ethnic. So what had actually happened in this conversation, this person's from an ethnic minority. So because she's in conversation with a white man, she thinks that she owns everything that is to do with ethnicity and to do with race. 
Um, and actually she had made one of the greatest mistakes that we all make. It's a very human and normal thing to do where we confuse momentarily nationality with ethnicity and the two things are different. So for, and I've struggled with it. Everybody, everybody struggles with it. Like for years, I would struggle with the, when I lived in Malaysia and people would go, that person is Malaysian Chinese. And I'd be like, I don't know what, my brain would just go like that. What does that mean? What the, what? What does that actually mean? Well, you know, it means there's ethnicity is this, but the nationality, what it says on the passport and the citizenship says something different. And in this particular conversation, this person had made a mistake and it was, it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. It wasn't anything that I'd intended to happen. Um, a few years ago, got into a conversation, similar type of personality. They'd seen films about tsunamis. And in these films about tsunamis that were the end of the world, the filmmaker, in, who in order to make it cool and dramatic and interesting, they created a tsunami that was like as, as tall as a skyscraper. And this guy um, believed that the tsunami that hit Thailand was as big, was like a big wave. And we were going backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. And eventually I said to him, do you think it looked like that? Because that's what you saw in a film that was called, I can't remember the name of the film now, the one where, um, this is not a good night for me remembering anything at all. So there was two films about the end of the world, they came out at the same time, there's the two studios battling, they both want to make the film about the end of the world, one's got Bruce Willis in, one's got the other dude in, and in one of the films the asteroid actually hits the earth. So there you go, just write in the comments section, I don't know, but there's a huge tidal wave. And I said, is it because you saw that in a film? And he went, yeah, we're absolutely berserk. We're really, really mad. They're not a fan of the facts, especially when those facts contravene their wonderful idea about who they are. I'm sorry, I have to do this or I'm going to go crazy. Is it called Deep Impact? It's called Deep Impact. Yeah, that's the one. And it went up against uh, the one with the Bruce Willis. And I'm not looking that one up. You can look it up yourselves. God damn it. Okay, I think I'm going to screen share one more thing and then I'm going to answer some questions. Okay, the last reference that I've given you in the notes, you just, you just uh, read this yourself. It's a story that was posted on uh, psychologytoday.com. It's a blog post. And it's um, a, a lady's story of how in therapy she learned to do some critical thinking and she learned a particular skill set called reality checking. As she writes, the definition of reality check from the online dictionary is something that clarifies or serves as a reminder of reality, often by correcting a misconception. In fact, some people consider reality checking a matter of clarification. From my current vantage point, it's hard to believe that at one time I didn't know there was such a thing as a reality check. When I first heard that phrase, I thought it meant someone was having hallucinations and needed to stop it. But to validate myself, if you grow up in a family with the unspoken rules, do not think, do not feel, and certainly do not speak about your thoughts or feelings, you would not even conceive of sharing a feeling or belief about another person, much less ask if it is really true. People with their CPTSD, you've got to learn how to do certain elements of reality checking, you've got to learn how to fight gaslighting, and uh, you've got to know that what you're being told, you've got to be able to ask it, even if it's just inside your own head, how do I know that that's true? And what your own brain is thinking, you need to be able to ask, how do I know that's true? How did I do, was that good? Was it good? Uh, so, a bit knackered, can you tell? 
Oh dear. Right. <laughs> Somebody wrote, I would watch Game of Trolls. Yeah. <laughs> so would I. That would be fun, wouldn't it? I would enjoy that. That was weird. I, 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 there's an effect here in Google Hangouts where if, if I want applause, if I want the narcissistic supply of an imagined audience applauding me, I can make it, I can make it play. Was that, so was that, was that good guys? Did you enjoy it? <laughs> Laughter as well. Oh, that's really creepy. That actually gave me a shiver down my spine. Fanfare, I need some of that. Enough. Stop playing with the effects, it's annoying. All right. I'll grow up one day. Whoa, where's my Q&A gone? I thought I wiped all the Q&As by dicking around with the effect. Carolina says she would watch Game of Trolls. All I need is somebody who's good with the effects and I'll, uh, I'll do a collaboration with them on that. Uh, Catherine Hamilton. Yeah, you asked that good question whether a lifetime of reality affects your critical thinking. It absolutely does. Critical thinking, by the way, is, is also a big part of what holds your samanga in place. Like if you can't think rationally and make judgments about reality, you can't have any samanga. You can't have any uh, uh, attraction whatsoever. You can't have any pause traction whatsoever. Not you can't have any attraction. Okie dokie. Uh, Anne-Marie says there's a free course at Khan Academy in critical thinking. Okay, uh, not everybody's going to be able to see this, I don't think. But if you look up Khan Academy, uh, K-H-A-N, Khan Academy, and then critical thinking, I'm sure that will come up. Thank you very much for the suggestion, Anne-Marie, that's useful. Linda says I'm Welsh, yeah, my bloody queen. Right, flipping right. Uh, regarding Sam Vaknin, perhaps some people are questioning his motivation rather than his knowledge. Uh, yeah, that happens too, but the fact is his knowledge is second to none. So who cares what the motivation is, Laura? Uh, Nature Nymph says, how do you feel you do with intimacy these days? Um, I do okay. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's a tricky one. I, I think partly because of the age that I am and the age range I'm in, you know? Um, so that, that can be tricky if it's in a sort of a romantic uh, context. There isn't like a huge amount of choice as it were. So that's tricky. Intimacy with my friends, great. Better than ever before in my life. With people who are, who are close to me. Um, I don't do all that push-pull stuff anymore. Um, I respect their boundaries and uh, I can say it on them, you know, so from my subjective experience, it might look like all of a sudden everybody's just being a lot nicer to me. But what it is, is that I'm not scared of being intimate with them in a boundary way anymore. And I'm not scared of being vulnerable with people in a boundary way anymore. And their response is that they're a lot nicer to me. So that's good. On the romantic front, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's not I'm just going to put that on the back burner for a couple of years. Uh, Wendy says, I can hear you. Very cool. Anna says, do you know the Skeptic Guide to the Universe? No. There's a place called theskepticsguide.org. Thank you for that. 
Uh, Dennis says the gospel according to Saint Mark, exactly. Uh, Sonia gives the Game of Trolls idea a thumbs up too. Thank you. Okay. Linda says, um, uh, she's answering somebody else. It's just a tool in the BOS in the BOS. Am I going to autocorrect? Uh, they try to change things to what they want to make an issue about. It helps keep. It helps you keep focused. That's all to recognise fallacies. It sounds like you're answering a question. A question I can't see. But yes, you're right. That's all it is. It's just an ability to recognise fallacies and cognitive bias. So I, I went over it quickly before. Critical thinking allows you to recognise fallacies in the arrows that are coming over the uh, castle wall when you're being attacked. The critical thinking also allows you to look at the castle wall and check for breaks in your defenses, which are called cognitive biases. So it's, it's a two-way thing. It's not just about defending from, uh, from attackers. You also need to be checking yourself as well. Chickity, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Important business. Education in the US is horrid when it comes to philosophy and logic. So it's generally new ground. It's horrid in England when it comes to philosophy and logic as well. It's been horrid for a long time because the last thing they want is to have a nation of people who can think critically. Critical thinking is the opposite of what the education system is designed to do nowadays. It's designed to create tax-paying, consuming drones. I find it's hard to learn new things because of the brain fog. Do you have suggestions for gaining new critical thinking skills post-trauma? Yeah, you need to study it. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an applied discipline that needs to be applied on the daily. Otherwise, it's nothing. It's just an idea that you pick up one night and then throw away the next morning. Um, in that sense, it's, it's like diet and exercise or anything else. It, it needs to be, the end goal should be to make it an unconscious habit. But the only way to make something an unconscious habit is to make it a conscious lifestyle choice that is outside the comfort zone on a daily basis until it becomes an unconscious habit. Can you do a video about the effects of narcissistic abuse on executive functioning? Uh, I gotta be honest with you, dude. I don't really know what executive functioning is. Is that, is that a phrase that I'm not uh, functioning? Psychology, autism, scholarly articles for executive functioning. Executive functioning, put most simply, is the ability to plan and complete a task. All right. Okay. The intelligence that IQ doesn't capture. Oh, this is interesting. Okay, so that's executive functioning, is it? All right. Well, I was calling it, yeah, I was calling it like um, contextual intelligence. Executive functioning It is a higher cognitive process that involves communication and organization across multiple brain sites and pathways. Is the interconnecting virtual pathway that brings all aspects of brain functioning together. Okay, um, so it's what I would call like contextual intelligence or or getting traction. Um, yeah, I can do a, a video about that. Uh, it looks like executive functioning, based on the article I just read, is also actually trying to look at the neurobiological roots of being unable to organize yourself to do tasks, um, which I can also add to that video, and I will. It's a good idea, remind me, and I'll do it. Is reality TV to blame for the outbreak of narcissism in the culture? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I think, you know, 
it's it's deliberate. It's a conscious decision that that has been made many years ago um, to do this to fulfil an agenda. I suspect the reality TV would have been just one of the things that they would have tried. Um, it's a it's a big it's a big psyop that's been running for a long time, and I don't. I imagine, I suspect, and I've met uh, executives from some of the worst elements of, uh, of reality TV in my time, and they were just the worst fucking reptilian humans I've ever met in my fucking life. They're horrible people. <clears throat> End them all, <clears throat> big brother. Um, yeah, nasty, real nasty, uh, and such contempt, such contempt for human beings. Just, just hate people. Just think people are just scum who uh, should be rounded up, and the weak ones should be put in the middle of the village square. Uh, you know, painted, made to wear a pointy hat, and then poked with sticks until they cry for the amusement of everybody else. Um, I don't think anybody could have predicted how well reality TV would take. I mean, if you pitched that idea before it took off, I would have sat and said, there's no fucking way people are going to do that. And one of the things I would have said is, the idea that humans will tune in on a mainstream TV network and watch other humans sleeping in real time is preposterous. Nobody's ever going to do it. You're out of your fucking mind. Stop wasting your time, is what I would have said. And I would have been 1,000% wrong. Uh, and when I first saw that happen, I really just felt like I was sliding off the edge of the planet. I was like, oh, the world really is flat. The world is flat. Uh, everything I thought was real is not. Everything I thought I knew about the world and about human nature is wrong. Uh, and that was a real simple thing. I came out, I came home after being out with my mates at the pub. So I was still quite young when reality TV took off. Uh, I think I was in my early 20s. And I'd been out at the pub and had a few drinks, came back probably eating a piece of toast or something, clicked on the TV at two o'clock in the morning and saw that uh, Channel 4 was live streaming people turning in their bed under a duvet cover. And I thought, that's it. That's it. Now we're fucked. When the Twin Towers came down, that was the dramatic beginning, but the, uh, the real opening of the doorway, uh, of the gates of hell, yeah, that, that, uh, I'm just kidding. I don't believe in any of that religious stuff. Revelation 9.12, look it up. Uh, I recently gave up drugs and alcohol, TV, Facebook, etc., and started to uh, meditate. It helps keep me calm and focused when dealing with cluster Bs and with critical thinking. Still, it's so hard sifting through their fucked up BS argument style. Do I have any thoughts? Thoughts? Question mark. Well done for giving up drugs and alcohol. Um, if you've got any sort of CPTSD, even if it's not major, even if it's just from recent narcissistic abuse, drugs and alcohol guaranteed to make it work, um, as is overtraining, as is overdoing anything. Don't stress the central nervous system at all. Keep yourself, you know, low stimulus, um, low exertion. Don't not exercise. Do get out and exercise, but go on walks in nature. Breathe the fucking air. Don't do anything that's particularly intense or that requires a big pump of adrenaline. Um, and yeah, stay away from, from drugs and alcohol and bad food. So that's a good thing to do. Um, it's so hard sifting through their fucked up BS argument style. Uh, you, you can't really sift through it. Um, we all do. Uh, I've done it a little bit recently, but just to check that it wasn't me. So I would like literally just make notes and go, okay, well, this is what happened. This is what I said. 
this is what the other person said in response to what happened in response to what I said. And I go, okay, let's do like a sanity check here. Is that a sane response? Where's that coming from? Does that response have an agenda? There's another good question for you if you're sifting through arguments. What is the agenda? What could that agenda be? If I brought a third person into the room right now and said, this is what this person said to me in this context, what do you think that person's agenda is? What would they say? And whatever it is that you think that that person would say, that will give you some insight into what's going on. Um, it, when you do that kind of an exercise, you do it in that way, it's pretty clear. And then you give up sifting. You'll only sift when you think there is a chance that the other person isn't crazy and it might be you. And then you're sifting to go, is it me, is it them, is it me, is it them, is it me, is it them? When you can get to the point where you can go, I don't know what their thing is, but I know that this that I'm talking about right now is not right. I just, I just leave it, just let it go. What, 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 why sift any further? If you know, if you've been able to come to the conclusion that you're just sifting through a crazy conversation where there are no coordinates and truth is not held as a value, then just really, it really becomes pointless. Do I have any thoughts on schema therapy? I don't. Um, I don't know enough. I know that um, it has been used to help uh, people with borderline personality disorder with different degrees of, of success. And uh, it's also been used to help people with PTSD with different degrees of success. It's come to some heavy criticism from certain factions, but quite honestly, I don't know enough about it. Uh, it's a shame. At the moment, I really don't have the time to study different, uh, different types, but I will do soon because I'm signing up for a master's degree in psychotherapy. And then I'll be able to give you an intelligent answer to this type of thing. After the fallout, when all the lies and cheating have come out and you hate the man. Oh, I do hate the man. Never again. As much as you love what you thought he was, how do you move on, forgive yourself and let the anger go? After the fallout, when all the lies and cheating have come out and you hate the man as much as you love what you thought he was. Okay, so you're in that state where, um, yeah, you hate and you resent and you're angry, but you love, okay. Mm -hmm. How do you move on? Forgive yourself and let the anger go. You packed a lot of stuff in a very short uh, little paragraph there. Let's deal with this first, eh? I'll, I'll tell you how to move on. Apply critical thinking. You don't hate the man. You don't. And you don't love an image of him. I would suggest and what I would like you to do is I'd like you to take everything that I said for the last hour and a half whatever it was all the critical thinking skills I gave you and I'd like you to take your notes and put them there and then I want you to write down how you hate why you hate where you hate when you hate and I want you to write down how you love what you love when you loved and how you did it and what caused it and then I want you to take all of the critical thinking and I want you to run it through you allege that you hate and that you allege that you love. And I think that like me, on the other side of that experiment exercise, you're going to find two things. One, you're not as angry with him as you think you are. You're actually really angry with yourself and you're actually angry and feeling hateful towards other people at other times, possibly from childhood, that put you in a position where you would be vulnerable enough to fall for such a load of shoddy, cheap con artist nonsense. So there is hate there, 
there is anger there and it's easy to say it's him and to focus on him and there is some for him and that's real but take the critical thing and say well when's it not for him when's it actually about me and about me being angry with me and when i hate who do i hate why do i hate what do i hate when do i hate is it that you bear hatred for people who lie to exploit and enslave others in principle is it you know, you know those, those kinds of things and you'll learn more about yourself you'll learn more about where your values are and what it is that's causing you to, to feel these emotions you said you're in you're in love with what you thought he was but if you think about that it doesn't really make sense because you're in one sentence you're saying you're aware that it's an illusion and that you love an illusion i may as well say that i love you know a piece of paper so it can't be both He's got you living in this split reality. He's got you living in schizophrenia land. Reality and fantasy. And he's forced, you know, this is what the narcissist does. There's a blade there. There's a blade. There's a blade. Like that. And they get your brain. And they go, hiya. And they just squash your brain down over the blade. And it splits fantasy and reality. And then they push it forward and run it, run the blade through your brain. And make you live in that reality. They make you live in that split, torture, mutilation state of your brain being split. It can't be both though. There is no split. That's them. So there's only love. So what did you love? What did you love? Maybe you loved being in love. Does that make you an idiot? No. Maybe you loved the intimacy and the vulnerability and having a man tell you that you're special and that you're lovable and that he wants to be with you. What does that make you? An idiot, moron, is that what your brain tells you? You fucking idiot, you fucking moron. No, that makes you human, it makes you normal, it makes you somebody who's ready to be loved. So the love is fine, just as it is. It's just misdirected right now. But that love and energy and the desire to bond with another person and be intimate with another person. I'm quite scouse tonight. I think it's because I've got a blocked nose. The ability and the desire to bond and, and be intimate with another person and to be in love is a, is a beautiful thing. And that shouldn't be hated on. So that, he's mushed all this up. He's made a bit of a mess of it with his, with his mind games and his gaslighting. So you pull, pull that and you go, well, that actually still has value. That's all right. I loved him. Ha, I can love. Not everybody can. Not everybody can. So you can. So you have the capacity to love. Fantastic. Let's hold that there. Hold that as neutral, as having value in a neutral space. What went wrong? Well, he wasn't that. It was an image. Well, what elements of the image did you love? Because you can go out there. Is it that he was kind? Is it that he was strong? Is it that? What was it? What was it that you loved? And if you can break that down using the critical thinking, and you can write that down. You know, I like this, I like that. I love this about him. I thought this was fantastic. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I want then you get to learn and grow from the experience. And this is how I defy the demonic agenda because they're trying to corrupt you and poison you and make you bitter and make you one of them. But through this process, you actually become stronger for it. You're like Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars. Strike me down, Vader, and I'll become more powerful than you could ever imagine. And this is how you do it. This is the methodology. So you actually become more capable of love after this. So yeah, you fell in love with uh, with an image, and it was false. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? 
given the same set of circumstances that you were in at the time that you met him, because you were in a very particular set of circumstances when you met him, weren't you? So take anybody else and put them in the same set of circumstances as you, given the same coordinates that you had for interacting with reality, and they would have reacted in exactly the same way. It's just a, it's a bait and switch. It's a deception. Well, it doesn't mean that love disappears or there's anything wrong with love and intimacy. So that's how you begin to move on. You forgive yourself by reminding yourself that you are just human. You're human and it's hard to be human. It takes bravery to be human. It takes bravery to be a mammal. It doesn't take any bravery at all to be a fucking reptile. And they don't have any bravery. They're moral cowards. Moral cowards. If you're not sure what a moral coward is, go and look it up and you'll see that I'm right. They're beyond cowards. They're moral cowards. Moral cowards. Oh, we're back. Uh, worldwide derp. <laughs> Good name, bro. I'm currently struggling with flashbacks because my situation with the narc has involved work. We both work together and a gaslighting went into work during the narc dumping phase. It cost me the job and the work tribunal at the moment equals a flashback. Don't conflate emotional flashbacks with legitimate suffering, as Jung would say. It was just a legitimate emotion. An emotional flashback is when you have an inappropriate emotional response to an extremely minor trigger, like, I don't know, you see a red post box and it reminds you of a red nail varnish and then you go into a strong state of um, abandonment anxiety or, or, or the whole abandonment melange, as, as Pete Walker describes it. That's an emotional flashback. When something dreadful is actually happening to you and you're having an emotional response to the dreadful thing that's happening, that's just an emotion. So don't confuse the two. Um, yeah, the fact that she's got you uh, getting fired from the job and you're going through a work tribunal and all that, you know, the stories that I hear on, on the daily, um, it's like this, it's like this, you know, maximum destruction. You have to be destroyed because you defied her. You have to be destroyed because you dared to say no. And there is no moral limit to how far she'll take this because she doesn't have any moral boundaries because she doesn't have any boundaries inside of herself. So um, you dodge the bullet, pick yourself up and carry on. Still breathing, not dead. Keep going. That's all you can do. The flashbacks... Um, that you, you will get flashbacks, and I'm sure you are getting flashbacks, but I just don't want you to conflate them with genuine emotion. You are going to go through some very, very strong emotions at the moment. Don't run from them. Don't run from the emotions. Experience them. Live them as a vulnerable human being and not as a reptile. Don't turn away from them. Don't suppress them. And things will get better. Better than you can possibly imagine right now in time. But this is like having a fever. It's like having a cold. It's like catching a virus. You've got to go through it. There is no way out but through. Jane Jago says, bizarrely, if you get out alive, wrangling with a narcissist and finally deciphering his or her gaslighting can be a masterclass in critical thinking. It can. If you do get out alive and you can uh, outwrangle your way through it, it can be a masterclass in critical thinking. That's a very good point. Somebody says, Oopa. Thank you so much for your reply. I gave you the Nine Inch Nails album recommendation. Have you heard Game of Thrones goat theme tune on a lighter note? No, I haven't heard Game of Thrones goat theme. I haven't got to keep a sense of humor in the shitstorm. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I like the new Nine Inch Nails album. Um, 
No, just Trent, Trent Reznor's lyrics have a lot of, uh, uh, th there's a lot of relevance to the subject matter on this channel. There always was. I mean, a lot of like his uh, descriptions of, um, it's like listening to a male borderline if you listen to Pretty Hate Machine, the male borderline bemoaning the abuses of an overt narcissistic histrionic uh, partner. Um, you got songs like uh, Head Like a Hole and and all that. And he made a song called Reptile about an ex-girlfriend who was a bit of a fucking reptile. And uh, a mate of mine from school, he toured with him and he was in a band that was called Ladytron and they made a song that was called uh, Destroy Everything You Touch which was about the effects of um, being in an artistically abusive relationship as well. So there you go, bit of history for you. That was, that was me, that was me name dropping, but I never dropped his name. You'll never know. Um, mm, hi, what can I do with denial? A lot of times when I try to assess if my family members are abusive, my brain sort of refuses to process information and I go in at some kind of limbo state. Yeah, you've hit the uh, you've hit the limit of your map of reality. So your map of reality is there, and you're like, I think there's a man behind the curtain in the Wizard of Oz. I think there's a man behind the curtain, but you've been told since birth you cannot fucking look behind that curtain. If you look behind that curtain, the world will end. There will be some fearful and dreadful consequence. So it's actually perversely because they've gotten their brainwashing has gotten inside of the system. It's actually self protection now. So your body and your brain think that by making you numb out and freeze and not think those thoughts, those taboo thoughts, that it's protecting you. That's how deep in the abuse is. It colonizes the brain, it uh, hijacks the amygdala and, and enslaves you. You become your own slave master. You become your own torturer. Um, what you can do with denial is you can keep working with your critical thinking skills. You can listen to what I'm saying right now. Start thinking about where the edges of your maps of reality are. Where is the edge of my map of reality? Why can't I look over there? My brain sort of refuses to process information and I go into a limbo state. Where does it do that? When else does it do that? How do I do that? How do I go into a limbo state? What does it mean when my brain pro refuses to process information? These are all questions. And asking really good questions allows you to get higher quality answers. So the higher the quality questions you're asking, better answers you're going to get be curious at this point that's all i can recommend it's like very very gentle stretching you want to learn how to do the splits but you're a bit stiff so just play move feel breathe and then one day you'll be like john claude friggin damn <clears throat> uh i am going to have to stop answering questions soon as i'm very tired oh Somebody's talking about sex. I've got to answer that one. Somebody's brought sex up. That's fucking boss. If narcopaths have no abnormal brain physiology, how does it happen that they all follow the exact same steps of love bombing, devaluation, discard, says the nature nymph? A, good fucking question. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. If there isn't abnormal brain physiology and they've not been attacked with a virus, how do they all learn to do the same thing? You'll have to ask Sam Vaknin. You'll have to ask the, uh, the, the uh, sixth Dan Grandmaster of, uh, of narcissism himself. I really don't know. Because it's, it's fascinating to me. Because I can have people, like my mate phoned me today and he's got a heartbreak issue. And he says, this is what happened. This is what was said. This is what was done. And I go, let me ask you this question, this question, this question, this question. 
and we haven't spoken to each other for years. And he was like, wow, yeah, how do you know that? How do you fucking know that? How do you know how to do that? How do you know that that's important? How do you know that this is important? How did you know to ask? How did you, did you, like, are you psychic? Do you, do you, well, no, it's, it's mechanical. It always plays out the same way. But why? Don't know. Don't have the answer to that question. Soz, if you find it, please get in touch and let me know. Uh, Serena says, Vaknin's motivation can seriously skew what of his knowledge and how he presents or withholds it. So I think that's why we should be concerned. Critical thinking applies when evaluating an expert in inverted commas narc, most of all, just in my humble opinion. I don't find that argument convincing. Uh, can I just point out that if narcs mirror you, it is in fact I. That is amazing in bed, not the narc. Ha 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 ha. But you're joking, but I think there could be something to that. Like, if they are mirroring you and you have an amazing sexual experience, like, is it them that's giving you an amazing sexual experience? Or do they kind of function as some high level virtual reality generator that taps into? using some weird brain technology. I'm, I read too much William Gibson when I was a kid. This is sci-fi stuff now that taps into sexual fantasies that you wouldn't even let yourself have. Like you put the brakes on neurologically, you'd put your brakes on and go, no, I can't go there. But this just goes straight in. Do you know what I'm saying? So maybe they are just the permitifier, right? You heard it here first. It's trademarked. It's my virtual sexual fantasy making machine. Right? and it's boss, and it's called the permitifier. Now, it's a, it's, I know you were joking there, but that's actually a good question. Who, if, if they're not really there, if that's not really a personality there, and you're subjectively having the experience of having amazing sex, well, who's having amazing sex? And who are they having amazing sex with? And how do you know that the sex was amazing? How do you know, what's your, you know, this is critical thinking now, these are good questions to ask, but what's your standard for amazing sex? What's not so good sex? What's the difference? Who's doing it? Who brought that to the table? Who brought the lust and the passion to the table? Who brought the whatever it was that made it amazing to the table? That's a good question, you know. Uh, 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 that, that was the sex question. Then you asked another, another. Planet Narco is the holodeck from Star Trek, says Courtney. Yep, see, we've got a similarly running theme here. There is like having a, a holodeck running. Um, and yes, it does. Uh, the holodeck in Star Trek it wasn't in the original Star Trek series, was it? It was in the later ones. I've not seen so much of the later ones, but I think it's uh, like an area where it would allow them to, I don't know, do combat practice or they wanted to practice doing something that was dangerous to do, you do it on the holodeck, which we'll have. I mean, we have, we will have that in the military within, I think they already have variations of it already, uh, but we'll have a proper one within 20 or 30 years time. And that's how we'll train people to do things. But uh, yeah, the planet Narco is the holodeck because it just shows you exactly what it is that you want to see. I was with a somatic covert female. Odd sex can be talked about all night, says Worldwide Dirt. Yeah, you're right. Oh, here was the question. It wasn't a question, it was a statement. He seduced me with amazing sex. I'm going to do another video about narcissism and sexuality. The conversation I had today, sex came up again. And then my mate from... Uh, Who's, who's experiencing this heartache? He said that the, the, that that also was a big factor there, and he said, but he was saying to me why, and I said, well, probably what it seems to be is it's just another form of control. If they can make themselves as um, 
indispensable. Hey, that's the first time tonight I remembered a difficult word. <laughs> Quickly, indispensable. If they can make themselves indispensable to you rapidly, they will do because being indispensable is just another form of control. Anything that they can do to, to make themselves indispensable makes them powerful in your reality. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to choose one and then go. No, I won't choose. I'll use the voting system and we will do it in a democratic way where everybody gets to say it should not be my decision like some disgusting capitalist, industrialist, western decadence, disgustingness. It should be the people that decides it's socialism in action. So let us read now. Chris Rapture. Good evening, comrade. Good evening, Tabarish. I'm currently tutoring a nine-year-old boy Oh, you're asking me a serious question, and I'm titting around in a Russian accent. This has to be, as I said, my head's gone. Right. I'm currently tutoring a nine-year-old boy whose mum is disconnected and exhibits narcissistic traits. This boy acts out, is quite defiant, even with me as an outsider coming to help him. I'm still healing from my abusive mother. Is this a bad situation for me? Yes, it is. Uh, again, came up in my discussion with my mate today. Kids are involved. She's got two kids and he's now attached to them because she, of course, accelerated the relationship, accelerated the intimacy, introduced him to the kids very, very early on and he formed a bond with them and all the rest of it. Can you imagine, like, if you, a uh, person who asked me this question, um, where's your question gone? Where's it gone? Oh, there you are. Okay. Let me, let me select it so I can't go anywhere else. Imagine, Chris, that you're a therapist and I say to you, I've got somebody who's experienced narcissistic abuse in their family life and now they have to be in close contact with a dysfunctioning family unit where they have to watch a child being abused by the abuse of uh, neglect and abandonment every time they're in, in contact with them. Do you think that's a good idea? And Chris, you would say, no, it's not a good idea. I walked into a gym the other day and the gym was in a sports hall and there was a little boy and a man. And the man was helping the little boy with his homework. And uh, he was shouting at him because he couldn't answer the questions. And he was, he was being really dramatic. He was like, what do we just what do you think it is and the little boy answered and he went no with his whole head this is a grown assed man with his whole head went no and banged his own head on his arms like that boy was about it doesn't matter how old the boy is like don't you shouldn't do that you shouldn't do that because if you do that it makes me want to find you in the car park and choke you you shouldn't do that because when you stress children out and you humiliate them, it doesn't make their brains work any more effectively, it makes them work worse. So yeah, no, it's a bad situation for you and you shouldn't be there. You shouldn't, uh, if you can avoid it, then, then you should avoid it. I mean, what are you gonna do? You can't help that child in the sense that the child needs to be helped. Um, and so then, you're going to feel helpless and you're going to feel the helplessness of the child reflects in your own helplessness. It's, it's not a good situation for you at all. Very, very difficult one. Um, oh, 
to end on a slightly slightly lighter note, everybody's gone mad on sex questions now. I have a whole theory about BDSM and narcissism if you want me to email them to you. No, do not send me emails with BDSM theories. I will not open them. They'll go straight in my junk box. Uh, you can post it on the forum. would be the best place to do it. But uh, it, 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 I, I, mean, I am joking, but, on, but really, if... if uh, the way I've got the email set now, I, there's no chance on earth that if anything, if you said the word sex or BDSM in email, I'd never say it. The human who opens my emails, because I don't open any of my emails firsthand, they would make sure I never saw it. <laughs> Please talk, talk, uh, say, it, say it on the forum and, uh, and then send me a link and I'll, I'll, I'll go and have a look. And it gives, us, it gives other people a chance to uh, you know, get in there as well. Uh, Thank you for your time, Richard. I think I speak for everyone here when I say listening to you is a big help and your words are very appreciated. Claire, that's very kind of you. Thank you. I'm going to stop on that one. It's exactly midnight. It's just turned midnight. Um, I have to go and do my magic rituals now. Uh, <laughs> it's exactly midnight. I've got things to do. A witch has to do things. You know what I'm saying? I've got to bring the energies in. Um, so thanks very much, boys and girls, for your time and your attention. I hope you enjoyed it. If you've got any questions, then uh, please uh, just post them on the forum, the Spartan Life Coach Forum. Just Google Spartan Life Coach Forum, and I will get around to answering them as soon as I can. Or on the uh, YouTube video, you can post them there. Or on the Facebook, uh, I try and answer the Facebook one. Sometimes the forum is the best place for questions to go these days. Um, so yeah, thanks very much for your time and, uh, and your attention. And uh, please do use some of these critical thinking skills that I gave you tonight over the next few days. Start using them straight away. It's the best way to guarantee that um, you know, they're, they're going to stick and they'll be usable for you. you know, just decide now that you're going to start using them tomorrow. Okay, thanks very much and uh, look forward to speaking to you soon. Cheers.